Hi, this is C.L. Brown with the News and Observer on the ACC Now podcast. And joining me today, we have a very special guest, Florida State head coach Leonard Hamilton. Coach Ham, thanks for joining us. How you doing today? I am doing just fine. This uh, this time of year when you have March Madness going on is probably the, the greatest time of year for all basketball fans and coaches for that matter. This is uh, madness is in the air. You know, we, and if you're a basketball fan, you, you look forward to this time of year. Now, uh, I think you can stick your chest out a little bit more being with the ACC with the way the league did in the tournament this year, three in the elite eight, two of the final four. Um, and I feel like most of the coaches in the league saw something like this coming, maybe not the exact numbers, but just that the league would be well represented you know, when the games are actually played and you were one of them that kind of said that earlier in the year, what, what made you so confident that the league would perform like this? Well, in the first place, I realized that the nation has not caught up to all the progress that the ACC has made. We still are operating back in the nineties on a national basis. And the fact that whenever Carolina or Duke are not having a special year or at least give, have the appearance of being a top five team, people automatically think that maybe something's down about the ACC. They do not realize that the league has been growing, you know, added Florida State, added Miami, Boston College, Syracuse, Notre Dame, uh, Louisville, some of the most rich traditional programs in the history because basketball now are in our league and they don't understand, they don't relate to the parity. They, 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 they're accustomed to teams – two or three teams being dominant, which they don't understand that the two flagship programs, uh, North Carolina and Duke, have really actually pulled everybody else up. And it, 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 the, the league is tough from top to bottom. I'm not real sure you can expect to have an easy night out when it also who you're playing in ACC. So we are prepared when we go to the NCAA tournament because we did hand-to-hand comeback all year long, we're battle tested when you go on the road in the ACC. So when you go, I predicted that when you go into the uh, NCAA tournament, people are going to be shocked at how well we play. And 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 my predictions have proved out to be true. They have, but I'm going to push back on one area of that because I also said that the ACC was down. I was I was in that chorus of folks, but it was based on to me the non-conference schedule performance. Now, with that being said, I felt like teams like your team, before you guys started having so many injuries, it was like because of the transport portal, because of, you know, players that that leave and go pro and, and just all of the new and moving parts that teams had, it almost seems like it took longer for teams in the ACC to come together. Carolina being a prime example, you know, um, three transfers coming in and and it took them a while to put it together and go on the run that they, you know, ended up going on. But how how do you kind of um how do you kind of assess the way that the way that the season developed in terms of that? Because non-conference play the ACC didn't make a lot of noise. Yeah, but see, I think you guys are placing too much emphasis on the non-conference beginning of the season. I think what happens is this. You know, I thought that Carolina would be just where they are now because we played them last year 
and they were very tough, hard-fought games for us. And we were a pretty good team last year, had a little more experience than we have than we had on this year, this year's team. And I saw those young guys gaining a lot of valuable experience. And then when they had the transfers to come in, I expected there to be some growing pains. I think you guys never take into consideration the the the, the process. You only guys want you guys only relate to the, the process. I mean the progress, but the process is one that's different for everybody. Sometimes you have a new bunch of guys that's got to become accustomed to each other. Sometimes you can have a young squad that's growing up, and then and then you have new players accepting. I mean, you have old players accepting different roles with younger guys coming in. So there was a, there were a lot of moving parts uh, at the beginning of the year. But I knew deep down, I just knew as time would progress, uh, you could see how challenging the, each team was. And you knew that when they, once they got to the NCAA tournament, they have everything worked out. You take into consideration with Virginia Tech. They were a good basketball team. They're capable of beating anybody. We beat Miami twice. We blew them out by one, and we blew them out by four. So, you know, we had a we just blew them out <laughs> right out of the gym. So I, I, I knew that they would be tough for a team uh, to prepare for. You know, we knew in the league, we know each other very well. Uh, we know how to plan for each for, for each other. And we, we we do not in the ACC have an easy game regardless of what's going on. And I just knew Coach K, youngest team he's had, um, they, they took their lumps in, in certain situations early. But, man, are they talented. And they're unique. They have, they have depth. They have strength. They have a shot blocker. They have guys create off the dribble. Uh, at nights, they can shoot the ball very well. For instance, when we played North Carolina, they shot 78%, yeah. you know, in the first half from three. I turned the TV on four nights later. They played in Pittsburgh, and I looked, I, I almost fainted. When I thought <laughs> what the score was, I, I, I thought maybe the television was telling a lie. I thought they had the scores backwards. They were down 19 at home in the first half, the same team that just cleaned our clock, you know, a few nights before. But they were extremely motivated against us. I think maybe we had won maybe four of the last five games. They took us seriously. They didn't, they weren't worrying about the injuries. <laughs> they were they were motivated by out of respect. That's what happens in the league. This is a tough league. This is the new ACC. And I think you guys are going to have to make adjustments to understand that come tournament time, we're battle-tested. Yeah, so um, I want to flash back for a second with you, Coach, because I want to ask you about the 2020 NCAA tournament that got canceled. Because at that time, your team, I felt like, was one of a handful of teams that could have won a national title. So do you even have you even revisited that in your mind, that team, because of, you know, I mean, obviously it was out of everybody's hands. It's nothing that anybody could have done differently once COVID. See, uh, I, you know, said, you know, see, uh, I, I have a different mindset. I take for what it is and I move on. Don't worry about the what ifs and the woulda, coulda, shoulda, you know, that was unfortunate. That's part of life. You have to learn how to make those adjustments. Uh, I've had several teams, that I thought could, could win a, win the national title when we when we uh, was in the elite eight. And I think uh, I thought that we had a chance to to be successful. I think we lost to I believe it might have been uh, VCU or uh, uh, that team. Uh, we got we we, we made uh, I think we was up maybe six and they outscored us six there toward the end of the game. 
I thought that team could have won a national title if we'd have gotten into the Final Four. But you know, we don't. You don't have the luxury of having pity parties in the ACC. You got to learn from it and move on. I did like that team. Um, I, I like last year's team, but we just for whatever reason we we struggled just to kind of get that magic level there toward the end of the year. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I want to step back and look at college basketball as a whole right now. Um, I feel like we're in a transition period in the sport with the NIL really getting established now and the transfer portal being what it is. What challenges do you see, you know, um, heading into this offseason and this summer? I know, you know, from a football perspective, Matt Brown at North Carolina just came out and was talking about basically uh, the need to get a handle on on NIL because he feels like it it has the potential to get out of control. Well, there's no doubt that uh, Coach Brown is on to something, but I think it's even more volatile in college basketball. And and I don't be want to be one to predict the doom and gloom, but I do have some questions about the direction we're going in, and I, my concern. I guess you might say, I don't call it fear of the unknown. I'm just would like to. I don't. I would like to be able to predict the direction we're going in. Because basketball seem to be have so many distractions right now, and and from from this standpoint, you have the overtime league. Whenever you, I see kids foregoing their junior and senior years of high school to get paid and go to a, a league and with the with the assumption that it's going to lead you to a better path to the NBA, I'm just concerned. I, I do respect the fact that kids can ha- should have the opportunity to, to realize their dreams and make money for themselves and their family. I understand that. I guess the fact that academics somehow or another is something that I've always placed a lot of value on getting your degrees and preparing yourself for life after basketball, but that does not seem to be anything that we're concerned about right now. And I, I wonder what's going for those guys who don't get drafted or they don't get, they don't matriculate to the NBA when you've given up your college uh, opportunities and you've accepted the money. I, I wonder what, what's going to be in store for them down the road. So you got this overtime league. Then you have now kids can go straight from the, in, from college, I mean, from, from high school, right to the G, the, the G League. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned what's going on there. And then there's been a trend here as of late where you have sometimes close to 200, 250 kids that are putting themselves, their name in for the uh, hardship uh, to be drafted when you only have 60 spots, possible spots to be drafted. Whenever you have 200 kids, I'm not talking about the overseas, the overseas kids and the seniors who are graduating. I'm talking about the underclassmen who are putting themselves, making themselves available for the draft when you have 60 spots, of which maybe 25 might be um, jobs that you can permanently say that people sign and have a possibility to make the, make it to the NBA. Now, now you throw in the, the NIL, with now there seems to be, once again, emphasis placed on having an opportunity, you know, to make your decision based on how much money you can get from, from different situations. So 
it appears it has the appearance that Coach Brown says that maybe it can be, you know, we start bidding, you know, who whose kids go to the highest bidder. I don't know that if that's the case, but it gives the appearance of that. And I don't know where it's going because every state seems to have a different rule. And now when you throw in the portal on top of that, when you take into consideration that you can't leave the Raleigh Observer and go to the, the Greensboro Gazette, you know, if you're on the contract, you know, uh, like, like a college kid, tend. If, if you play for the, the Lakers, you can't wake up one day and decide that I'm going and go join the Clippers. You can't be with you can't be with Chrysler one day and get upset because the coffee is not brewed right, and you're going to go over to Ford. You know you can't be the president of Wells Fargo and then decide you want to go the next day to Chase. But in college basketball, you you can play. You can you can you can be at Duke one day and decide you want to go play for Carolina with with no penalty. And and I don't know where that's going. Now, the argument has been that that the 30, the 25 or 30 coaches a year that change jobs. Now, most coaches are fired. They they are, uh, they have to go find another job. But let's say those 15 or 20 who take jobs and move on the next year, it also gives the kids the opportunity to transfer and go somewhere, I believe, if that is the case. Um, you... you 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 people use the comparison where a college coach can leave and go away wants to so the 25 college coaches and i'm being generous they decide to go and you have 1800 kids in the portal that doesn't quite seem to be equitable to me you know that doesn't quite seem to be a reason for 18 19 year old guys to to consistently you know get up one day go to the go to the um uh, compliance officer and and decide they want to go somewhere else. I, I just think those things, like Coach Brown say, are somewhat unsettling to me. And all of them seem to be happening with um, college basketball. And and I, I, it used to be we penalize a school for not graduating enough people. That, but I haven't heard anybody say anything about graduation now. If somehow or another it's, it's different ways to make money quicker and faster. And um, I'm concerned as to the climate and the distractions, and I don't know where it's going. But I, I want to stop short of, of, of complaining about kids not having freedom and choices. But but I, I, in our society, there aren't very many things you can change like that once you sign a contract without some kind of penalty. Most even most schools have um, a buyout that you got to do, and it used to be that you have to set out a year to make those decisions. But I'm confused as to where we're going. See you. Well, I, I want to. I'm going to take a sidetrack for a second, and then we're coming back to that because first, I want to. I want our listeners to understand. Um, that some coaches, when they talk about education, is lip service, but I know your background and how you put your siblings through school and how education is important to you. And so I wanted to take this this little side road right quick just to kind of uh, to go over that. If if you can explain how all of that happened when you were at. Well, it, it, it is somewhat personal with me. And that's one reason why I don't want to come across self-serving. 
But I believe that the old method of going to school and getting your education, preparing yourself for life after basketball is important. My mother went to the seventh grade. My father went to the ninth grade. So but when I when I graduated from college, I adopted my brother Willie. Willie goes to college. His, he marries a girl who goes to college, and both of his kids go to college. Uh, my brother Barry, I adopted. He didn't have any kids, but my brother John went to college. I, my, my sister Pam went to college. And it changed the whole culture of our family with, with, with me being a first-generation youngster going to school. Well, most of the African-American kids who have gone to college, that is, that is really the case. But somewhere along the, the way, we have had absolutely no conversation about the graduation rates. I've only had two, two kids in the last 20 years at Florida State who have not graduated, who's been with me for four years. I feel like that's part of my, my, my responsibility is to make sure our kids get their education. And, and I'm really concerned when I see kids foregoing high school to, 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 to lose their eligibility to chase a dream when you only have 500 jobs available in the first place. And you only have 20 or 30 of them becoming a reality every year. So, but, and we have this mass gravitation toward this, this, the financial emphasis. And then I have to be careful because those opportunities are important for some guys who need to go and, and work for their families. So I don't want to poo-poo it, but my concern is the distractions and the emphasis seem to have gotten away from education. So getting back to that, how how do we wrap our hands and arms around this and, and who decides, like, who's kind of going to be charting the path forward? Because... Well, I was going to say, there's something that Coach K has talked about in the past about college basketball almost needing like a president to represent college basketball needs and interests. Well, we definitely need some organization or structure here. You have the NBA, you have the USA, the basketball, you have now, you have the portal, you have uh, the, the, new, the, the overtime, you have a lot along with the social media. <laughs> but but my point to you, it, it seems like everyone is trying to find their niche and we're working against each other, you know, in, instead of working in concert for what's best for basketball. Greatest sport, NCAA is the greatest event. The NBA is one of the most popular sports. But somehow or another, we have kind of, in our in our attempt to make things better, we seem to be, um, we seem to be creating an unintentional distraction for what I think has been something that has been good. The, the, for, for a guy like Leonard Hamilton to get, his, to get a scholarship to go to school and get the education was, has been huge for me, from huge for me and my family. And I speak for a lot of guys who come from my circumstances who needed to get their education. Now, and on top of that, you know, when you look around the country, like in Division One basketball, how many, uh, I think about 380, 90 teams, times 15 players, you add that up, that's a lot of kids. Then you got Division II, NAIA, we got junior college. There's a lot of guys chasing this dream. But the dream has been to get your education along the way. What I'm, what I'm saying is I don't want to look up five, six years from now 
and I have five or six, 700 kids that have chased this pot of gold at the end of this rainbow. They can't find a rainbow. There's no pot of gold. Without the education, married with two or three kids, a cup of coffee in the D-League, uh, a trip or two over to Europe, what are they going to do with their lives? And I don't want to make a racial issue out of this, but 98% of those guys are going to be African-Americans. And so I'm just concerned, and I don't know where it's going. It just seemed to be it seemed to be fractured, and we had seen to have, for instance, the overtime league is not put together without some intention of someone that got to get a return on their investment. I mean, so that's they're not doing they're not just giving money away because they don't think they're gonna get a return. But I don't see how they're gonna get a return if nobody's coming to the games and nobody's watching it on the internet, you don't have a TV contract, where is that going? And and how many kids of the 1,800 kids that are putting themselves in the portal, what percentage of them did not get a scholarship off? So <laughs> what, what, what I would like to do, I think rather than Leonard Hamilton enforcing his opinion or Coach Brown enforcing his opinion, I'm hoping that someone can do some statistical analysis and a breakdown on what we're doing, who's being affected, where where are the pluses, where are the minuses, who's making progress, where are our failures, so we can kind of have an intelligent discussion as to where we are. I don't want, I want to stop short of complaining or making a, a, a definite decision on the, as to what I think is going to happen, I would like to be able to do some research so we can intellectually come to some thought process or some conclusion as to what are we doing and what is who is being affected by this positively or negatively. Yeah. So um, I, I find it interesting, too, that we're kind of at this crossroads just as uh, uh, you know, Coach K is is retiring. Roy Williams retired last year. Um, yourself, Jim Beheim, uh, Jim Larinaga in the ACC. Hold, are it, hold all... it, hold it. Don't be putting me in that No, category. I didn't say you're retiring. <laughs> hey, hey, listen. Hey, CL, if I don't come out of the if I don't come out of the locker room and accidentally go sit on somebody's bench by mistake, and I don't, I don't know what end of the court that I'm coaching on, and I'm trying to coach somebody as a team, you know, I'm still gonna be hanging in here. Okay. No. <laughs> hey, don't don't stop putting don't stop putting words in my mouth. And I'm doing this fine, okay? Now, no if doubt, I, no hey, doubt. listen, if I can't remember the names of the players on my team and, and I sit on the wrong bench, <laughs> I think maybe I might start looking at something else to do. <laughs> <laughs> then we'll phase you out. Well, I just mean that there will be a change here in the next decade of college basketball where, you know, veteran guys such as yourself. <laughs> <laughs> veteran, you that's <laughs> Yes. Yes. You, uh, you know, you retire from the game and everything. And the next batch of coaches, you know, are kind of rising after you. Um, uh, well, first, I'm curious as your thoughts of who you feel like 
is in that group of quote unquote next coaches that that you feel like will be caretakers of the game? Well, I think that's going to evolve. You know, it's hard to pick a leader. You know, you got to let that kind of emerge and evolve uh, through guys who are willing to make certain sacrifices to, you know, for the game. Um, like Coach K, he gave so much of his stuff with the USA basketball and being a part of committees with the NABC and uh, in the ACC. I, I, I wasn't willing to make that kind of sacrifice. I mean, I was asked to go coach some of the, those uh, in the USA basketball. I say the jobs that I had didn't give me the luxury, you know, of having that kind of free time. I had to be 24-7 when everybody else was on vacation. I need to still be working. So I didn't – but but Coach K committed himself to do everything he possibly could for development of, of basketball. Uh, I think you're going to have guys emerge. Uh, I think it's going to be hard to predict who they will be because there will be some like Leonard Hamilton that were extremely selfish about trying to build his own program to try to catch up with people who uh, I admired and respected. Then you're going to have guys who have a little bit more security and maybe they might be a little more uh, given of their times and, and, and so forth. So, I, I, CL, I, I'm not real sure I can make that decision. Okay. Well, um, I, I appreciate your time. We're running out here, but I want to get to some things that are definitely uh, <laughs> not related to basketball. <laughs> and first, I wanted to start with your record label. A lot of people don't know that you have a gospel record label, and I just wanted to to check in on, you know, what you got coming out, you know, what excites you about it right now. Well, I, I do, and, and I, I never, when I, growing up till I was, what, 20 years old, I never lived more than 30 yards from my church, and every time the door opened, I was in it, you know. <laughs> I, rem I remember putting a nickel in Sunday school and a dime in, in the regular service, that's how far I go back, you know, with my mother watching me walk up the street and stop at the stop sign and look to the right and the left, then run across the street and run up to the church steps. So, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, but I just, that's part of my culture. That's part of what I enjoy. That's part of what I was raised. So I do have a gospel music label. I'm going to probably release another album uh, sometimes between now and the first of the year. I have two excellent artists. Um, I am waiting a little longer to be a little bit more aggressive with my record label. I've, I have released one album that I think is very, very good. And by the way, I got great music, uh, if I do say so myself. You, you got to name names so the people can uh, well, go check know, it out. <laughs> well, we, you, know, you know, I want to release everything at the right time. Okay. okay. You know, <laughs> I, I, I plan to win. I plan to be at the Dove Awards and every other uh, gospel music award. I'm already practicing my speech. So I can accept my award. So, <laughs> hey, hold tight. Okay, stay tuned. All right. But no, I really love music. I really love gospel music. And that's part of a way of life for me. And I, it's more of a ministry with me, uh, CL. I, I don't want to be uh, uh, in the music, in the uh, gospel music business, because I'm trying to make, make a living out of it. I want to break even, but I want to create some opportunities, some avenues for other people to, to utilize um the label and the, the avenue to, to spread the gospel, uh, use it as a vehicle by which they can worship and praise. Uh, I enjoy that as part of, of, of what I love doing. 
Yes. Um, the second thing I wanted to ask you about was, you know, you were born in Gastonia, grew up in Gastonia. And I, I, I'm curious because I don't know the the actual amount of time you spent there and before you, you know, uh, got out in the world. Do you consider yourself technically, do you consider yourself a North Carolinian because yeah. of that? Or you've been so many places that it's it's kind no, of no listen, I grew up watching ACC basketball. I, I go back with Vic Boobas oh, and yeah. Art Heyman and um Eddie Beatenbach. And <laughs> I was a basketball fan of the all the uh the ACC. I remember Mike Malloy Davidson. I remember uh how great I thought that Dean Smith was to be aggressive in bringing Charlie Scott into the ACC. Uh, he set the table uh, and opened up the doors for a lot of African-Americans. Charlie Davis at Wake Forest, uh, Gil McGregor, uh, those guys back in those days were pioneers. And I thought Dean Smith, uh, his, his initiative of, of, of bringing Charlie Scott to the league made it okay. He endorsed uh, uh, integration and, and those types of things did so much for racial harmony in in the South, more than you ever could 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 remember. But I also go back with uh, Henry Logan in Western Carolina, and uh, Little at at High Point, and I think that was Gifford. Uh, Gifford had uh, gosh, I can't remember what 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 his, what his name was, and a Durant who was at Catawba. Those guys. I, I mean, I was just a basketball junkie. Mike Malloy at Davidson was left to Giselle. Uh, so I I have a a history of loving college basketball and, and growing up as a kid in, in North Carolina, realizing that those opportunities were not available to most of us during my era, you know, and, and, and it was painful drinking at the color, color water fountain and using the color bathroom, but I, but and setting up the balcony in the balcony in the buses and not being able to go to certain restaurants, but I've always used those types of circumstances as a motivation and as a deterrent, or, or to be bitter about it. So there's a lot of experiences that I enjoyed in Carolina, but but I, it also was good for me uh, to go off to school and, and and have other experiences. And uh, I'm very proud of, of what has happened in ACC, being a leader in the entire country for integration, as well as giving African-Americans an opportunity to participate and grow. And it was great basketball as well. Yes. Now, this last question is personal to me because I am a fan of the HBO show The Wire that aired years ago. And I asked you this a few years back, if you ever watched the show, because there's a character called Bunny Colvin, who was a, a police sergeant. Bunny was his nickname. And um, who who people say that you favor. So I was wondering <laughs> if you ever saw The Wire. Well, to be real with you, as a young basketball coach starting in 1971, the jobs I had didn't give me an opportunity to watch TV very much. I mean, I was always on the grind. And um, those shows, I think I might have seen glimpses of them occasionally along the way. But uh, I, I haven't had an opportunity to sit down in front of TV and watch since 1971 when I got into coaching. So I missed a lot. I never saw the one show that was 
but, but they, they start around the bar, you know. Cheers. Um, I never had a chance. Cheers <laughs> had been on and had been. And had, you never watched had, Cheers, Coach. <laughs> you know, and, and I heard so many people talk about Cheers, but it's, it came on and off before. And I never had a chance to watch it. You know, so that's 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 what I've missed. And I hear so many great things about that program. I'm hoping that I can find uh, <laughs> video along the way so people i can figure out what people talked about when they talked about cheers i missed uh, a lot by in the coaching and i've enjoyed uh myself in this business but i haven't had very much time to watch tv <laughs> well and I, we, and I never saw the wire unfortunately well you gotta watch the wire is the best show ever on television in my personal is it still opinion on? It's no, still on? no, it was only from what about 2002 to 2009 or something like that. Oh in, my in that range, yeah. Um, yeah, I've been in my lane. I've led, I've led a sheltered <laughs> life since I, since I started coaching. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've lived a very good life, and uh, we appreciate you jumping on the ACC Now podcast. Uh, and for our listeners. Tune in. We will have hopefully another guest lined up in another great episode next week. Thank you for listening.